If you're able, I'd ask that you stand for just a moment, and uh, if you would, just stand for just a moment, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11, and we'll read on through verse 14. Very familiar verses to us, but as I share with you often, uh, don't let that uh, detract you from paying attention to the Word of God. Verse 11, it says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. I want to talk to us about uh, this evening and preach a message to you about the life that we live for Christ is to really be a life of looking forward, not looking backward. And we're to live in the present, but we're to look ahead. And so we see this in this particular passage, and I share with you that living for Christ is not about me accomplishing it all or turning it all over to God and sitting back and doing nothing, but it is about a relationship, and, and we work together, and I cooperate with God, and I'm in cooperation with Him. I believe this is a process of living for Christ, as Paul defines the Christian life, a race to run and a prize to attain is the way he speaks of our, our uh, faith in Christ and the life we live. And so as I put this together tonight, I just kind of want to challenge our hearts. Are you pressing on in your faith in Christ? And so we're going to look at what that means this evening. And I just believe it's important that we remain in the race for Christ and that we reach the goal that he has established for us. We set goals for ourselves on an annual basis, but I'm saying... What goals have you set with your Savior? What have you determined that you're going to accomplish this year with your Lord? Ask God to give you wisdom and decisions that you're making and direction that you are, are headed in. So there's three steps here when we talk about pressing on, and the first is letting Christ have possession of you. So if you're going to press on for Christ, He, one, needs to possess you. Number two is letting go of the past. Too many of us live on what has happened in the past, whether it's good or bad, we allow that to dictate things we do in the future. And then looking toward the future, but looking toward it in the name of Christ and not just for our own sakes. And so I want to talk about this first step is to let Christ have possession. So part of this race is making sure that you do not permit yourself what I call to just be a satisfied Christian. And I think we come to that place sometimes. We just become satisfied. Uh, Miss Kathy uh, has this uh, program called Omni, and she encourages people to take care of their physical selves. And uh, one of the things I realized is that even after you come off the program, you still have to maintain some things. You have to take care of yourself. You can't just stop or give up or quit. And we become satisfied. And I think we do the same thing in our spiritual lives. We just become satisfied with where we are. We've learned enough. We know enough. I've read the Bible enough, and I, I'm just satisfied as a Christian. And yet there's so much more to learn. How many of you open the Bible daily with a renewed spirit, with a renewed mind, with renewed thoughts, saying, I want to learn something from my Savior today? If we think we've got it all down, we've missed it. <laughs> and, and the thing of it is, there's so much to obtain. And so the challenge is, is that not that we become satisfied with our spiritual accomplishments, but that we do become satisfied in Christ, but that we're pressing towards something. There's always something that we're looking to do. Many of us as Christians can uh, become self-satisfied. I think the way that does is we compare ourselves with other Christians. Well, I'm not as bad off as they are. <laughs> I'm doing better than they are. Or my kids are doing better than their kids are. Or we'll do some comparison, and we're running the race in comparison to other Christians. And what I want to challenge you with is this. 
don't run the race in comparison to other Christians. Look at it toward your progress and your relationship with Christ. So we need to compare ourselves with Christ and the Word of God. And I think that's evident, and I think that's what Paul was doing here. If you went back and just read the example of Paul, he's telling you uh, he's not attained. Notice what he says in verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. There's something that he's trying to strive for. That word attain is to strive towards something. And so we need to compare ourselves with Christ and not others. And I believe the mature Christian evaluates himself and strives to do better. Every November, I don't know what it is around that time of the year, that's that time of the year where I start thinking about things. And uh, my wife and I sit down and we usually do our annual budget and determine uh, goals that we have as a family and uh, just make decisions about things that we want to do. And I always start looking toward the future. I do the same thing here at the church, only it takes place in September <laughs> instead of November. And so I start looking at all of those things around September. But how many of you actually sit down and then say this to yourselves, I'm actually going to evaluate my relationship with Christ? What's it like? What kind of relationship do you really have with Jesus Christ? And do you want it to be better in 2020 than it was in 2019? And if so, what are you going to do about it? And so you have to evaluate a little bit. I believe the mature Christian evaluates himself and strives to do better. And I think Paul realized one thing about himself. Notice what he says in verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. <laughs> he hasn't achieved it yet. He hasn't gotten there yet. And you think about Paul when the, at the time at which he's writing this particular letter, how much God had already used him to this point in his life. And he says in this passage, not as though I had already attained, either already, what? Perfect. I haven't been completed yet. And some of us believe in our Christian life that we've got it finished, we've got it figured out, we've got it understood. We know the language, we know uh, what verses to memorize, we know how to talk, we know how to dress, we know how to say things a certain way. And yet I'm asking you not to be uh, kind of in a robotic mode, but in a mode of what is your relationship really like with Jesus Christ? As I thought about this, the mature Christian evaluates himself and strives to do better. Paul realized he wasn't perfect and recognizing that it is a mark of maturity. When you recognize that you're not complete, that's a sign of maturity. When you realize there's still work to be done, you begin to mature as a Christian. You see, age isn't a factor in this, and I think we think that sometimes because I'm this age now, it's not a factor anymore. It's even more of a factor now because we can become very complacent in our latter years with our relationship with Christ, in our knowledge of what uh, we've learned about the Bible, uh, thinking that there's no more to know, and, and we can become very complacent and even lead us to something called empathy or becoming very empathetic. And Paul realized he was not perfect, but he realized there was some work to do. And I think this is an area that I would challenge every one of us in this room tonight to pray about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And what's it really like? Now, sometimes we think we got it right. <laughs> Do you remember there were some churches in the book of Revelation? How many of you remember some of those churches over there thought they had it right, didn't they? Well, let me just remind you of about three churches right now that thought they had it going on. And here's what it says. Sardis, Revelation 3.1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? You think you got it going on, folks, and you've missed it. And that's what he told the church at Sardis. And then he tells the church over at Laodicea, which is one we use often to describe something not doing well, but 
Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What? You got everything here, but what's your relationship like with me? That's what he's talking about. What was Laodicea's relationship with Jesus Christ? And then what about the church in Smyrna? He says this, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. These are God's words to local churches. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? So when Paul says, listen, uh, I, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, here's what he said, but I follow after. <laughs> I keep going after this. I don't stop. He said, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said this, that word apprehend is the same thing that we would use if an officer were to apprehend a suspect, <laughs> to cage them in, to, to get a hold of them. And he's saying, I want to be that for Christ, and I want Christ to do that for me. I want to be apprehended of Christ. I want him to have me. And that's what he's saying. And so you look at this and you say, well, what's your relationship like with Christ? Now, we can sit back and, and we can do a couple of things when it comes to self-evaluation. By the way, it can become very dangerous because there's two ways we normally do it. There's two ways we normally evaluate ourselves. One of those ways in which we uh, evaluate ourselves is making ourselves better than we are. You say, well, preacher, that's just pride. I know. <laughs> and, and, and we do that sometimes. We make ourselves better than we are. Or we make ourselves worse than we really are. <laughs> and that's just as bad. And what Christ is looking for in this relationship, in this evaluation, is that you evaluate yourself according to his truth and you look at yourself according to his lens not yours. What does the Bible say? And where am I in relationship to his, his word? Now, when I look at verse 12, I would pray that for myself. I want that type of possession in my life. I want him to possess me. I want him to have every part of me in the way that I think, <clears throat> the way that I act, the things that I do, words that come out of my mouth, the thoughts that are inside my head. I want Christ to be able to control all of those things. And, and in my relationship with him, I'm striving more and more to have that kind of relationship. Certainly we're saved, and certainly the Holy Spirit resides in us, but there is a submission of our hearts to the Spirit of the Lord to come to that place where Christ really has control. You know, the Bible says, Be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't let anything else control us. And the thing of it is, is we let so many different things control us. How many of you just allow your thoughts to control your day? Something you've thought about and you don't even know all the facts. And you've allowed it to control you throughout almost your entire day. I know I'm the only weird one in the room, so, and, uh, but we do that stuff, don't we? And we don't always have the facts, but here's the thing. My relationship with Christ, it says that this mind be in you, which is also in what? Christ Jesus, right? Do you think Christ was a warrior? Uh-oh. What position does that put us in with him? And so you have to turn to him and ask him to alleviate that burden. That self-evaluation is important. Paul didn't fall under any illusion about himself. He still had to keep pressing on in order that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. And when you have, a, I would call it this, how about this? How about a divine dissatisfaction with yourself? A divine dissatisfaction with yourself. Not just that I'm dissatisfied with some things, but how about a divine one? 
A one that says that here's the Bible, here's his word, and here I am. And it's divine. It's not that I'm comparing myself to my wife or someone else in the church or some person in the community. I'm just simply looking at it through his divine word. And I'm just satisfied with where maybe I am. And I, I would call it a dis- divine dissatisfaction for your spiritual progress. You uh, uh, allowing the Lord to really possess you takes away some of that because you're reading his word and asking him to help you utilize his word. How many of you know this verse out of Psalm 42, 1 and 2? As the heart panteth after the water's brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? How many of you are in that position where you would say to yourself that your soul is literally thirsting after God? That, that you're really that thirsty for Him to be close to you and you to be close to Him. That you would say, even as the, the deer at the water's brook, it, it goes down and it's just so thirsty and it panteth and, and it's wanting something. How many of you would say that you find yourself in that position in your relationship with God that you just so desire you panteth. I know when I go out and I mow the lawn, every once in a while I still I have headphones on because I can't, or whatever you call them things to stop your ears from hurting or whatever. So I put those things on because I hate how loud my lawnmower is. I just don't want to be deaf when I'm 75. So I wear those things all the time. And I get out there and I forget that I have them on sometimes. I'll shut the mower off and Emily will be out there and I'll say, hey, give me a bottle of water because I'm just so thirsty. And all I'm doing is riding around on a lawnmower. I'm yelling and screaming at her to get it. <laughs> and she gets that bottle of water out there for me and brings it out. And man, I can just take that whole 16-ounce bottle and take it down just because I'm thirsty. How many of you drink in the water of the Word that way? That you're just so thirsty you can't get enough of it. The first step to remain in the race for Christ is to have a divine dissatisfaction with your spiritual progress. And what that creates is you have to reset your thinking. You have to stop for a minute and say, where am I? What am I doing? And and then you, through a heart of prayer and through uh, reading your scripture, you get to that place where you say, God, thank you. I need that. I'm thirsty. I need you. I'm thirsting for your word. Then take the necessary step of allowing Christ to possess your life that day. I think one of the biggest hindrances, though, and we'll look at this because I believe Paul struggled with it as well, is that of maturing. And in, 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 in you don't mature sometimes because we end up living in the past. Even as Christians, we get saved and we, we live in the past. We don't live in the present. We live on what had happened rather than what is happening. We live on uh, either successes or failures of the past, and we allow that to drive us rather than where we're living in the present. So the second step is to let go of that past. I look at this, and Paul says here in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So he says this, I haven't, I haven't gotten hold of it yet, but this one thing I do. And what is that one thing that he does? Forgetting those things which are what? Behind. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. One of the biggest hindrances to the Christian is living in the past. Yes, even Christians who live in the past. They live there in their thoughts. They live there because there's either satisfaction or dissatisfaction from the past. And in the present, they don't see the victory that they can have in Christ in this present life. And so they live or dwell in that place. The greatest deterrent to growing spiritually is allowing your past to interfere with your present. 
I didn't say that we can't grow because of our past or we can't learn from our past. Certainly history is good for us, amen? But the fact is, is whenever it interferes with how you're living now, and to understand what I'm saying, it's interfering with how you're living now. It's causing you to become, or it's a deterrent to how you're living in the present. And ultimately, that'll affect your future. So the past is often interference. What kind of interference are we talking about? Well, Satan interferes with you. He'll bring stuff up that maybe you've asked God to forgive you for, and God has forgiven you, and he'll bring it up to you again. Either a situation or a circumstance will arise, and he'll bring it to your attention, and he wants you to dwell on that rather than move on. <laughs> the flesh does the same thing, does it not? Sometimes our own flesh gives us trouble, and, and, and we dwell on the past. I was out, and we were working on the siding there, Brother Jim, and the wind was blowing, and my right knee started hurting. And I started focusing real heavy on, man, I wish I'd have listened to my dad and never wrestled when I was in high school. I know why my knee hurts. I know the day I damaged it. I can still remember when I hit the mat. I remember the sound that I heard, and I remember the feeling and days and days of swelling on the knee and all that kind of stuff, and they told me it was fine. It just needed to stop swelling. At age 54, it reminds me that I did that. <laughs> and when I'm watching you guys, and I'm standing there, man, my knee's killing me, and it's aching. I'm standing there jerking it back and forth trying to get it to stop. And here's the thing. I couldn't even really focus on what you guys were doing. And I allowed that to deter me with what was happening in the what? Present. Present because of my past. You say, well, no, that was just an ache and a pain. No, I started dwelling on why did I do that? Why didn't I listen to my dad? Well, guess what I can change about that? Not a thing. And we spend a lot of time there, don't we? And we go backwards. The past is interference. Also, the world uh, and Satan and the flesh and the world, they love to have you limit your life. You limit your life to your past, and you'll never live in the present. You limit your life to the, what happened in the past, and you'll never move forward. If you live your life based on what's already gone by, what kind of a life are you living? And so you have to say, I need to live in the present, not in the past. And I think that's what Paul was telling us here, to live in the present. Here's one of the things that I think that folks struggle with the most, is that we continue to condemn ourselves over things God has forgiven us for. We've asked God to forgive us for something, and we allow that to continue to condemn us. And the fact is, is and I'm going to give you this scripture because I want you to go and read it on your own, but I want you to write this down because I know there are people right in this room, even this evening, that struggle with this very thing that they have not allowed themselves to really trust God for forgiveness. It's not about forgiving yourself. <laughs> it's the fact that you're doing something that God says, that's a no-no. And it's that you continually bring up something that God's already forgiven you for. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, I'm going to read these two verses to you, and I want you to get a hold of this. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And let me tell you something. It has a lot to do with salvation too, doesn't it? Because I have to believe that God saved me, right? And I have to have confidence in his Christ. But what God's telling me here also is this, that we continue to condemn ourselves over things that we've asked God to forgive us for. And if we continue to do that, then our confidence is still in ourselves, and it's not in our God, the one who forgives. And so what Christians do 
is they continually bring things up and, and they're like lepers that we raise in our heads all the time that we react and react and, and take and bring this thing up again and again and again. And yet God says, I've forgiven you for that. And the reality is, is that you don't believe that he has or you would let it go. And what happens to us as we live in the past? And I share this with you tonight because I know I've told you folks this before. Tell me one thing you can change about what you did even one hour ago. <laughs> Not a whole lot. Might be able to go change your shoes, but you still had that same pair of shoes on, right? <laughs> but you cannot change even what you did an hour ago. Any words that came out of your mouth, any actions that you took, you cannot change them. You may be able to ask for forgiveness for them. You may be able to go and, and do something different than you'd already done, but you cannot change what you did. <laughs> and so nothing. So remember, the only way to remove those obstructions is to live in the present. Looking toward the future doesn't mean that I don't ask people to forgive me. No, I do ask them to forgive me, and then I move on. <laughs> I do ask my God to forgive me, and then I move on. And what happens is, is we hang on to those things. And when you're living in the past, you're living like the unsaved, those that have never trusted Christ. We have something they don't have. We have a forgiving Savior. Amen? Amen. And if I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. He promised me that He would cleanse me of that unrighteousness. Amen? Now I need to be able to move forward. You know, if the runners of the race continue to look back, Stumbling and injury happen most of the time. <laughs> Anytime you watch a runner look back, almost inevitably they tumble, they fall. We were watching America's Funniest Videos. Anybody ever watch that anymore? It's still, they run them like, like a marathon the other day. And some of the funniest ones were on there. And you just see this kid, he's looking back and he's got to jump this hurdle and he's getting there first before everybody else. And he keeps looking back to see where everybody is and bam, right into it. Never lifted his leg. Why? Because he was looking back. He, didn't, he wasn't ready. <laughs> and he smashed right into the thing. And so we have to look ahead. In Luke 9, 62, and Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You don't want to be looking backwards when you're plowing. Well, I guess today you could, right? Yeah, it's the things behind you. You might want to look back while you're plowing, but you're still looking at it. You're not turning from it. Now, too many Christians are stumbling in the present because they're focused on what happened in the past. And when you do that, you know what I believe you're doing? You're just placing more obstacles in your way. <laughs> you're just putting more obstacles there. So to forget. So he said, I do this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. To forget, in this passage, it doesn't mean fail to remember. It doesn't mean that at all. He just simply says it requires that it no longer influences you or affects you anymore. And believe me, I think when he wrote this, he, he had remembrance of what happened that day to Stephen. Would you agree? <laughs> I think he had some things in his mind that he had done. I think he knew and he was saying, I have to forget those things. Not that I failed to remember what happened, but I, I've gotten to the place where I've not allowed that to influence what I'm going to do right now. The choice that I'm going to make, this faith-based choice that I'm going to make does not mean that you didn't learn anything, so you don't want to repeat the same mistakes. You want to avoid making the same mistakes or the, uh, uh, continuing down the same path of sin, but we're not to dwell in that in life. Now, God said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, right? Amen. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. It's different now. And we live differently. If you are a new creature in Christ, you do not have to live on the burdens of the past. And I think that's what we do sometimes. We've been forgiven and we live in the past. The second step in living for Christ Jesus is to reset your thinking and your heart. You have to stop for a minute and just say, Lord, I know I've come to you about this. I've asked you to forgive me. And he says, certainly I have. But we keep living based upon what we did, not what he's done for you. (laughs) And we have to get to that place. Now, let me share this with you. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So take that necessary step. And this third step is simply this. The life of a Christian needs to be looking forward to eternity with Christ. So this third step is in verse 14. He said, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark. And, you know, when I look at that, that's not just any mark. It's the right mark. It's not just any direction. It's the right direction. When he says, I press toward the mark, he's speaking about a specific type of mark. And so when you look at this, one of the things that we have to do is focus on what is set before me. Is my Christ set before me? Am I pressing toward that mark? Forgetting those things which are behind does not suggest an impossible feat. In other words, we get to that place where mentally we have to figure this thing out or psychologically we have to play a game with ourselves. We need to just simply open up the Bible and God said, I forgive you. And when you ask him to forgive you, he's done so. And what we do is we allow that to linger rather than believe God. So if I'm going to press toward the mark, I got to not play a game. I need to erase those things as he does. And it simply means that we break the power of the past by living for Christ in the future. And how do you do that? Well, in the present world in which I live, I open my scriptures, I pray to my God, and I seek his forgiveness, I seek his word. I'm asking him, uh, please uh, uh, apprehend me, take hold of me, let my thoughts be yours, my ways be yours, my actions be yours, my deeds be yours. Take hold of every action that I take, Lord, and I want you to have apprehended me. I want you to take hold of me. And then it simply says that I won't live just for the past, but I'll live for a future for Christ. And you know, it's so easy for an individual or an entity to live in the past. And whether that's success or failures, we do it sometimes. We do it sometimes. And sometimes we can live in that time frame that was maybe successful for us. But I believe what we do is we create more stumbling blocks when we do that. Whether successes or failures, we live in the past. Pressing toward the future is letting go of the pride and the fear and moving forward. Pride tells us in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And fear and faith are very different, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we don't want to approach it with pride, and we don't want to approach it with fear. Then how are you going to approach it? By faith. (laughs) It's not pride, nor is it fear. It's faith that takes us in that direction. So as a Christian, you're in the race. And so we're to apply ourselves, seeking the will of God. And I believe some Christians are so busy dying to self, they never run the race. (laughs) They're just so busy with themselves, they they never run the race. They get so tied up in what they're doing, so they never mature. And then there's that second person, and that's the person themselves that say that, "Uh, I got this thing. I don't need to stop and pray. I know God's Word. I got it. (laughs) 
I got it handled. I got it figured out. I can accomplish this on my own. So here's the challenge to you. Make sure you're pressing on the right spiritual goals. Make sure you're pressing toward those right spiritual goals. You're pressing on toward those right things. Not just what you want to do, but what has God designed for you to do this year. And I believe this third step is living for Jesus Christ daily. You've got to reset your thinking. You've got to reset your heart. And you've got to ask yourself, what am I comparing myself to? His truth, his word, or some other person, some other Christian? And if I'm going to reach that mark, that prize, that high calling of God in Christ Jesus, then I take those necessary steps. Letting Christ have possession, letting go of my past, and looking toward my future. Let's pray. Father.